Good morning. Good morning. I just want to start by. Oh, is this the end? Nope. Is that better? Good morning. I just want to start by saying thank you to each one of you. There is no humanly possible way that I could have gone to Arequipa, Peru without this church family behind me. You guys supported me financially. You supported me with prayer. And you encouraged me while I was there. There were so many of you that sent me messages. And in a lot of ways, it wasn't easy. But I knew I had this army behind me that was supporting me. So I went to Arequipa, Peru. There were 42 of us who went from uh, North America, 11 ophthalmologists. There was an optometrist. And then there were many um, other people like me that went to help as well. I was there for two weeks, the last week in July and the first week in August. Um, so Arequipa is a city of a million and a half. There is one working hospital in that whole city. So their healthcare system is very broken. And um, when we went there, I was really encouraged because um, there was so much support from the city. So there were two parts of the trip. The part that I was involved in was helping people get eye exams and be fitted with glasses. And then there was a surgery part as well, which my mom was involved in. And that took place in a local hospital. So our clinic was in a school. These are the front gates to the school. And this is where people would line up to come to the clinic. And it was so humbling because we would be bused to um, the clinic. And as we'd be getting down the bus, the people that were waiting outside in the sidewalk would start to cheer and clap. It was humbling and kind of embarrassing because at that point we hadn't done anything. And let me tell you at home, nobody cheers when I turn up for work. I don't know why, but they just don't. So they would come in the front doors and they would get started in the process. So the first day we were there, um, the mayor of Arequipa, he and the woman are there on the right hand side, and they actually came and blessed the clinic, which was huge. If you can imagine the mayor of a city of a million and a half taking time out of their day to come and do a blessing for our clinic. The tall man over there on the left-hand side is Dr. Bob Rice. He's an ophthalmologist from Texas. He is the head of Medical Ministry International US. The lady beside him is Tanya, and she is the head of Medical Ministry International in Peru. And um, Dr. Bob Rice was our team leader for the trip, and Tanya did all of the immense planning, which was enormous. So here is half of the school we were in. Every one of these classrooms, bottom and top level, and then behind me from where I'm taking the picture, had a stop in the eye exam process. So there was 11 stations all um, in total, as well as preoperative spots as well. So um, it, this is one of the stops right here. This is a Canadian. And he is checking her near vision. They checked their distance vision as well. This, I don't know how many of you have had eye exams here, but one of the things they do in Canada, they take you to a little room and they do a scan in your eyes and it kind of roughly gives the prescription and then they do the puffs of air in your eye. So this is a handheld version of that machine and it is giving that, that ballpark 
prescription, which was really important. It really kind of sped up the whole process. Um, these two sweethearts here, that's a lensometer. So if people had a prescription pair of glasses, that would read the prescription on the glasses. And I helped train them because they're just teenagers. They're volunteers from Peru, and they are helping out. So 42 North Americans, there were more Peruvians helping us because each one of us needed a translator, and then there were many other ones that were just directing traffic flow and keeping people where they were supposed to be going. So this here is one of the ophthalmologists, Kim. So because we had more ophthalmologists than optometrists, they would help do the eye exams as well. So that's what she is doing here, figuring out this lady's prescription. This man in the picture here, he was an optometrist from Peru. He didn't speak any English, but he volunteered his time as well. And he was amazing. So where we fitted glasses, it was the last stop, obviously. And uh, clinic started at 8 o'clock in the morning. And most days, we were still working at 6.30 at night, and it was dark. We were fitting glasses with our interpreters using the flashlight on their phones so we could kind of see. And he would come and help us. Instead of just waiting, he would start fitting glasses and, and start doing it too. So I really appreciated his uh, kind heart. So this was one of the stops that some people did. So this man, Lawrence, he fits false eyeballs. And so he brought all of his equipment from Canada with him. And this lady in this picture here, she came. She was missing one eye and had been for so long that he tried to fit an eyeball and couldn't because her eye socket had collapsed. So she ended up having surgery, and then the first week, and then the second week when she had healed up, he fitted her with an eye. Can you see how happy she is? She told him, now I'll be able to get married. And I just broke my heart. So, I mean, like, we don't think of that here, right? Nobody would be going around without an eye, but for her, it was huge. So this is the room where the prescription um, would be entered into the computers, and the computer would give some suggestions for eyeglasses that would work. So the young lady there, she is from Canada. She's hoping to be an optometrist. She's going into third year this year. And she was my trainee, so I taught her how to adjust glasses, how to fit glasses, and she was a quick study, and um, I really enjoyed working with her. And I will be cheering her on as she works to be an optometrist because she wants to come back as an optometrist and help the team. So here's a picture of all the glasses. Just so you know, even though um, I would say most of the team members, like two-thirds, came from the U.S., these glasses are all Canadian. And they've been collected largely by the Lions Club in Canada. And they go to Hamilton. In Hamilton, they're processed, and the prescription is read on them. They're put in the bag, and they're given a system. There's approximately 15,000 pairs of glasses. And let me tell you, the first day we were there, the Sunday, one of our jobs was organizing these boxes so that we could find the glasses. It took a couple hours. Um, but one of the Peruvian volunteers was the one who would you know, figure out what the code was and would run around and go get it and would bring it. Uh, to us, but if you could believe the second week we started running low in glasses, there were a lot of people that when we put it into the computer, there was nothing. And that's when I started messing around with prescriptions. The doctors at home here, they were laughing at me. I was like, well, what can you do? 
<laughs> you can't say I have nothing for you. So we would do things like, I would say, well, just run it for just distance, and then we'll see if I can find reading glasses. Or the cylinder's not that high, so just forget about it. You know, just see what we do if we just run the sphere through. And we had to start getting really creative. So it is important. Always keep a backup pair of glasses, but do donate your glasses, especially if you have an unusual prescription. So this is the station I worked at. There was four to five of us that would work out giving glasses. We gave out between 160 and 185 a day. Um, so we worked about 10-hour days with maybe 20 to 30 minutes for a lunch break, and that was about it. Um, but the people of Peru were so patient. Like, to go to all these stations, it took most of the day. And they would just sit there and wait patiently. And when I would find glasses that fit, they were so grateful. And they were so happy. So here's the station that I would work at. This is me. I'm trying to fix glasses. Sometimes the glasses weren't in great shape. So I would have to change the temples and change the nose pads and straighten them out before I could even start to fit them on a patient's face. And sometimes the glasses were really small and their heads weren't. And sometimes the only thing that would work for a child were adult glasses. And it was my job to figure out how to put a big pair of glasses on a small child and have them fit. So this is the station we worked at. And there's me doing more of that. So fitting them was really important. In fact, one of the things I appreciated about the ophthalmologist, all of them at least once came out and would put their arm around me and say, you know what? There's no point in me flying all the way from the US to Peru and giving them a prescription if you can't find glasses and fit them so they can wear them. I so appreciate what you're doing. And it was they were so kind, and I really appreciated them. So in the process of fitting them, because they're used, there was a lot of checking their vision near, checking their distance far, adjusting a few things, and then checking again. You know, now can you see? Um, and fitting them on because unlike at home, if your glasses aren't fitting well, you can pop back in and say, hey, you know, can you tighten this up or can you loosen this? But when we left, we left, you know, so it was important that they fit properly. So I'm going to share some stories of people that that person alone would have made the 36-hour trip to Peru worth it. This sweet young lady had glasses. They were orange. Her dad had drilled holes in the back of the temples because they were so big. They must have been adult glasses and had tied a string around the back of her head to hold them on. They were awful, and they weren't even her prescription. And when we ran her prescription through, we found these. They were very close to her prescription, and most importantly, they were purple. And as soon as I pulled them out of the bag, her face lit up, and I was like, God, I hope these work. And oh, she is so pleased. I don't know if you can see how emotional I'm feeling. I wanted to cry in that moment because I was so glad that not only could she see, but she liked them. Because I don't think going to school in Peru is that much different than going to school in Canada. And no doubt she was made fun of for orange glasses with a string tied behind her head. To be honest, I didn't take a lot of pictures of the people I fitted glasses on because it kind of seemed rude when there was 50 people waiting for glasses to be taking selfies. So a lot of the pictures were like the first person of the day or the last person of the day. Um, but this gentleman, he was pretty special. He had never had glasses. There were so many that had never, ever had glasses. And when I would put them on, they would go, and then their face would just light up. Like, it was just mind-blowing. 
one lady, when I explained what the bifocal was and brought her the reading card, she started to cry and she just said, Biblia, Biblia. And through the interpreter, she told me it had been more than 10 years since she'd been able to read her Bible. She was crying. I was crying. It was just like, you were worth it. This man here only had one eye that worked, and again, he didn't have any glasses, and he was so pleased. He's in a wheelchair, and he was so happy. He just grinned the whole time, and he asked me for a selfie, so I made an exception for him. So this isn't the exact woman I'm going to tell this story about, but this is a woman very similar. This is one of the native women, and we had quite a few of them that would walk out of the mountains down into the city. And I had one woman who was a native woman. She was close to 80, never had glasses before. And um, I put glasses on her. She literally jumped out of the chair, raised her hands, and started praising God. And her glasses are jumping all over the place because I haven't fit them yet, and I'm trying to get her calmed down and to sit down so I could fit them. But I thought you were worth going all the way to Peru to fit glasses. So there was also a surgery component. They did a lot of cataracts. I actually have some with me. And a lot of their cataracts were brown and black. Light perception only is what they were doing for uh, the cataracts there. And so you can imagine here, we complain when you know things are a little bit fuzzy. But there, they would be down to no sight at all. So this lady right here, uh, this is the ophthalmologist, his name is uh, Russell, and uh, he just took the bandages off her eyes, and this woman just started singing a song of praise, if I can make it work. Isn't that sweet? Isn't that sweet? It was like so sweet and uh, just so joyful. It was like the only way she could express herself was by singing this song. And um, it was just so fantastic and so honored. And this would probably be a good time to say, yes, I am going again. Just so you know, be prepared for me to start talking about this um, late winter and early spring because I want to go again. I'm hooked, right? I'm hooked. Like, what I do in my day job, you know, to be able to use that for God and, and go with the gifts and the talents that he's given me to fit these glasses is just amazing. Okay, I'm going to share some of the difficulties. They had this attitude in Peru that toilet seats were optional, toilet paper was optional, paper towels were optional. I did not know this before I went. I did not. <laughs> so, in the morning the uh, Peruvians would helpfully put one roll of toilet paper out on the counter. And there'd be 250 patients come through spending half a day there, so you can imagine how long that roll lasted. So I will confess that I did pinch one from the hotel. And we would pass it around, <laughs> the Canadians. And we soon would tell each other where the, the, the bathrooms were that had a toilet seat. Not fun, but still worth it. So adjusting glasses was a little bit tricky. This was one of the instruments we had. There was an on-off switch. There was no thermostat. And I honestly melted a couple pairs of glasses trying to use this until we 
had a brilliant idea to grab an ugly pair of glasses and use that kind of as our guinea pig and stick it in and see if it was too hot. If it was too hot, you turned it off, and if it wasn't hot enough, you turned it on. Not ideal. Arequipa, it was also surrounded by live volcanoes. In Spanish, they called it burping. And they did burp while we were there. This was the weekend between. This one was a long way from Arequipa, but the last day we were there, the Friday, the one that's just a kilometer and a half outside of the city burped, and our masks were covered like I couldn't breathe. And my mask was full of stuff, and I would change my mask and put another one on, and it would be all clogged and be full of stuff. And I'm like, how do you all do this? It was crazy. I also had lots of opportunities for worship. So uh, the lady with me here is a psychologist. She's on the MMI Peru team. And through the week, I also did worship with a Peruvian pastor. His name was Abraham uh, because we had a devotional in the worship time every morning before we would leave for clinic. And it was such an honor to, to work with him. And, well, he didn't speak English, and I don't speak any Spanish. But uh, we did have the universal language of music and God. And, yes, here's me with an alpaca. They were all over. They would get into garbage cans like wild dogs would. And I thought they were really, really cute. Um, the spiritual aspect was just as important as the physical aspect of glasses. Everybody who came to the mission heard a message, um, a gospel message at the very beginning. There were local pastors and local missionaries that were there. Every station had one of them there, and they would sit and they would talk to people as they were waiting and present the gospel. We also gave out tracts um, with each pair of glasses that we gave out as well. And part of our morning meeting, they would kind of do statistics. You know, how many cataract surgeries did we do? And how many pairs of glasses did we hand out? And how many eye exams did we do? And they also included how many people had been led to the Lord um, the day previous. So that was, like, really, really exciting. So... Um, that is the end of my Peru slideshow. If you guys have any questions or you want to see a black cataract, come see me after. And I will show you and I will answer any questions that you have. Okay, so I'm going to, I have a message um, that I feel that God wants me to share with you. And it's something that God started um, teaching me more in depth this winter and spring kind of into the beginning of the summer and it kind of started with me complaining to God I was complaining to him about a friend kind of a friend of mine that I had and I don't know if you guys have ever had friends like this but it seemed like every time they called me or they texted me they wanted something ever had one like that you start out thinking that this is going to be a great friendship but soon you start to see a pattern they want to borrow your truck because they've got something big to move they want you to help with something. Can you do this for me? When they talk to you, they want to talk about what's going on in their life, their kids, their grandkids, aren't really interested in yours. So I was complaining to the Lord about it. And I heard him ask, not with condemnation, just a gentle question. What kind of friend are you to me? And I was like, huh? <laughs> what are you talking about? Of course I'm a good friend to you. And there was, there was silence. And I started thinking about it. And I started realizing that my friendship with God was a lot like the friend that I was complaining about. I was doing a lot of talking. 
and not a lot of listening. I was asking God to do a lot of things, but what was I doing for him? And God took me on a journey of teaching me to listen. It's just one aspect in a healthy relationship, in a healthy friendship, is listening. And he started taking me through Bible verses on listening and Bible stories on listening. And I want to interject here that I have not arrived. I'm just sharing like a little bit of what God has taught me and will continue to teach me. I don't have it all figured out. But my hope and my prayer is that when I share what God was teaching me, that in the same way it took my relationship with God to another level, that it would take your relationship to another level with God too, as you learn to be a better listener and a better friend to God. So one of the passages that he took me to was Luke 10, 38 to 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Well, I like fancy preparations for dinner, too. I like nice napkins, and I like to have a plan, and I like my meats to be nicely rolled up on the plate. Right? That's natural, and that's normal, and that's not a bad thing. Right? Maybe you were brought up like me. I was brought up in a home where we were first to church, last to leave. There was a lot of emphasis on doing things for God. If our church had an activity, we signed up for it. We were always there. And it seemed like doing things for God was praised more than just sitting and listening to God. So I kind of feel for Martha. If I was in the kitchen and I was doing a meal for Jesus and I had asked Mary to help, I'd be kind of ticked off about it too, wouldn't you? In fact, we've probably all had that, been planning something fancy, and the person who's supposed to help us is off doing who knows what. So I can feel her frustration. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So I don't want to downplay doing things for God. That is important. But what is better and more important to God is sitting and listening. In fact, how do we know what God wants us to do if we're not sitting and listening? How do we know how he wants to accomplish it if we're not sitting and listening? And I think we forget that. We get so caught up in doing that we forget about listening. And that's okay for a season. When I was in Arequipa, it was busy. I was up at 5.45 and... When I finished eating my supper at about 8 o'clock at night, I went to bed. And I wasn't doing a lot of listening. And for two weeks, that's okay, right? But by the time I got home, I was hungry for the presence of God. I was hungry to sit and to listen. And we need to make sure we're balanced, that if we are doing a lot of doing, that it's balanced by listening. Isaiah 30, 21 says, Your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. God is wanting to speak to us. 
He has things he wants to teach us. But are we listening to it? Amos 3.7. Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. He does nothing without revealing it to his prophets. Are we listening to it? God wants to take our devotional life and our prayer life from being ho-hum to be made up of, this is what I do, I sit down, I read, I pray, done, check. He wants to take our devotional life from that and have it be something that's vibrant and exciting. That's what he wants to do for each person here. He wants you to have a friendship with him, that there's talking and there's listening. So how do we listen? Number one, we need to be quiet. That's not easy, right? Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. This isn't easy. In fact, at first, God's challenge was two minutes. And at first, after I would read my Bible verse, I would set my phone timer for two minutes. And I dedicated myself that I was going to spend two minutes in silence before God. And yes, sometimes there was nothing but silence. But that's okay. When you have a good friendship, a good relationship, you can sit in silence, and it's okay, and there's something peaceful about that. But more often than not, God did a lot of talking. And I wouldn't have heard what he was saying if I hadn't zipped my lips for a minute to sit down and listen. Devotional books are great. Sermons are great. But it's not personalized. God to you, the way sitting and listening to God is. Right? You're listening to what God's told somebody else, what he's been teaching them in their life. But he has things he wants to teach you in your life that make sense for what you're going through right now. Second thing, very, very important. Write things down. Habakkuk 2.2 says, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets. I write everything down. When I'm reading the Bible, if I have, oh, I get what that verse means now, and God shows me something, I write it. I write it down. I'm not going to remember what God told me about a certain verse in Scripture last January if I don't have it written down. My Bible is full of writing. And sometimes when I'm going through it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember. And God taught me that. It's so important to write things down. Sometimes when I'm doing my devotions and I read a verse and then I'm quiet before God, I hear kind of a piece of another verse. So I know where it's from in the Bible, and I read it, and I write it down. And God shows me some things about it, and then I'm quiet. And I hear another snippet of a scripture, and I Google it, and I find it, and I write it down because he's teaching me. He's leading me step by step through his scripture. And we're not going to know what he's teaching us. We're not going to remember if we don't write it down. Sometimes when I'm listening, I hear some lyrics of a song that we sing, or I hear the music of a song, and I will find it on my phone or YouTube it. Sometimes there's a message for me in the, in the lyrics. Sometimes I just listen to the music and just spend time in the presence of God. Um, God sometimes shows me pictures, and I try to write down what the picture is. 
he has shown me visions, and I try to describe it so I'll remember. I also write down any dreams I've had. Um, it's hard sometimes to know if it's a dream because of we ate something funny last night or if it's a God dream. But what I find is the kind of weird dreams kind of leave us, but the God dreams stick with us, right? They, like are they stay in our spirit. And sometimes I don't know what they mean. So I write down what the dream is. And then when God does share with me or another person, because God will send them to share with me what it means, um, then I, I have that dream written down. It's so important to write things down um, in a journal. Last September, I had kind of a tough period in my life. But God was sharing things with me in August and early September. He gave me promises in advance. He gave me strategies and what to do. And so when I had about three things hit me all in one week, you guys have had weeks like that, I remembered that God had said something to me. He had prepared me for this. And I went and I got my journal. And I flipped back. And there were all of these promises to me. So uh, when I went through that, I went through with a peace I wouldn't have had if I hadn't written it down. Because I would remember something vaguely that God said to me. But I had the specifics. And I had such courage in knowing that God saw what was happening in advance and had something prepared for me to make it easier for me to go through. The last thing is ask questions. This was huge in transforming my devotional life and my prayer life. So when I read a verse, I'll say, God, what does this even mean? Or how do you want me to do life differently based on this verse? And then just spend some time quietly and listening to what he says. So if I take my prayer list, maybe the list that is in the bulletin of people to pray for, say, God, who do you want me to pray for? And a person will come to mind. How do you want me to pray for them, God? What do they need? And when we have listening, part of our devotional life and part of our prayer life, it gives direction to our prayers. It gives a power to our prayers and to our devotional life that we wouldn't have had otherwise because it's specific. Instead of saying, oh, you know, God, would you lift up Pastor Ernest this week? And it's just a general thing. If I say, God, how does Pastor Ernest need to be prayed for this week? Now there's a point, there's a direction, there's a purpose to the prayer. Because God knows exactly what he needs. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. God wants to talk to you. He wants to teach you. He is our teacher. He is our counselor. And when we spend time and we're quiet in the presence of God and listen to what he says, he does teach us. He helps us to grow. He prepares us for things. Isaiah 55, 11, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish the purpose for which I sent it. So here is the activation. I am a firm believer in praying the word of God. I believe the word of God is, is active. And... Um, very often when I'm praying for people, I hear to pray God's word over them. Because his word will not return empty. 
right? There's a power in the word of, of God. When I found this verse, it blew my mind. I have lived my whole life reading the Bible, and I had never, ever seen this verse. Isaiah 50, verse 4. The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. There's no point in me standing here and telling you about this if there's no change in your life, right? I believe the purpose of me standing here and sharing this is so that each one of you would have an active and vibrant relationship and friendship with God, that you would listen to him as he teaches you and instructs you. So this is what I want us to do. I want us to pray the word of God over each of you. I'm going to get you guys to pray this for yourselves. And I believe that as you pray it, that you will hear God in a way you never have. Because it says the sovereign Lord has opened my ears. Do you believe the word of God? He can and will open your ears. Whatever your level of listening is at now, he wants to take it to the next level so you can hear him more clearly. All right, will you pray it with me? Isaiah 50, verse 4. The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. Hallelujah. Do you believe it? He has opened your ears. So, Father God, we just come to you, and we thank you for opening up the ears of every single person in this place, God, for helping them have a more vibrant and healthy relationship with you, for helping them to hear your voice and be able to act on it. God, thank you for all that you've done in the lives of these people here and all the lives of the people in Peru, God. I just pray by, with your holy word that you would seal everything done here today, God. I just pray my words would take root in people's hearts, God, and grow to fruition. We just pray this in the powerful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.